But you could call me the can man, because anybody can get it. Unbelievable! Dana! 60 G's, baby! <laughs> Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler! Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron and today I'm joined by Tom Kennett, Connor Harmer, Rory Ford and Jack Evans. Uh, Rory, if we just go straight into this week, I gather you've got a little something you want to talk about. The Spitballing website, you've had your first winners. We've had a couple of winners, Byron. We've been off to a flyer. So uh started on Saturday uh, with Magical Memory winning at 100 to 30, so just a shade over 3 to 1. And then we had Jordan Spieth who nearly gave me a heart attack on Saturday. He was, well, he was driving about as far right as Donald Trump goes. <laughs> and, uh, it was it was painful to watch at times, but he ended up getting the job done with a cosy three-stroke victory, I think it was, in the end. And that was put up at 16-1, to 1, so I hope a few of the listeners got on. I know I was on. And then I ended up wasting a few quid back in Kim Hybrex in the dance last night. <laughs> my boy. Off my accumulator. He's no one's boy after last night. <laughs> no, on the, he battled off the first three legs against Alan Chuck Norris. <laughs> <laughs> and ended up then, well, just getting absolutely annihilated. But he's still got he's still got the best walk on song, <laughs> "Hi Ho Silver Lining." Uh, but I think you'll see the best walk on tonight, Stephen Bunton with <laughs> the word because <laughs> he with, looks like Peter Griffin. <laughs> with um, those tips, I foolishly backed a horse on Friday, put Spieth in, and then put Arsenal to beat Chelsea in their friendly. No idea why. I did that, but so that let me down. Yeah, and then never, but never about the team you follow or the the town you're from, boy. And you come to learn this kind of thing. <laughs> um, if before we get into um, UFC 214, we obviously had the UFC on Fox this weekend with Gastelum against Weidman. Uh, you were the only person who picked uh, Weidman. He's had a screamer this week, hasn't he? Yeah, that was another successful tip I landed. <laughs> I'm not sure if you can take much credit for that because with an extra 10 seconds in that first round, then it would have gone exactly how. Yeah, I was a little bit worried when that straight left got delivered. But, you know, Chris Wyman, like I said to you, he will not quit on his home patch. Well, he, he did well and then he won, and then that interview after just was yeah, absolutely was, horrific. I would have hoped he would have lost if I'd have heard, <laughs> if I'd have heard what he had planned the interview afterwards I thought you'd be the only one who'd be happy with it seeing as you for some reason hate Bisping which yeah, we'll get into well, a bit later we'll keep that in the back pocket for now. <laughs> I but, don't want him giving me an internet tirade like he no. did to Chris <laughs> just to just to go through that card the Brazilian cowboy mugged me as he does every single time if he's not missing weight, then he's just screwing my acker. <laughs> Although Probably the second dirtiest fighter in the UFC behind Yuel Romero. I think it was like three favourites on the entire card, one on Saturday night, which was ridiculous when I just carried on betting each time it lost. It can't possibly lose this time. 
and then obviously it did. Can we get on to the one man that me and you are waiting to lay into? Is that Gian Vellante? That is him, yeah. How? How, at this stage in your career, can you still not be versed for three rounds? He's got the gas tank for about three minutes. He fought a guy with one eye for the majority <laughs> of the fight. A guy who looks like he's he's been attacked with a hammer, posting selfies in the ambulance after. Yeah. <laughs> a guy who, remember, was brought into the UFC purely to fight Cormier on about five days' notice and somehow lingered round ever since. He wobbled him in the, in the uh, first, didn't finish him, wobbled him in the third, and then ran out of energy when he tried to finish him off and ended up going backwards. Yeah, he, he's, he is just a joke, to be honest. I've not really liked him for a while now, but well, Saturday just capped it off. Um, so if we if we get on to um, UFC 214, if I go around the table and we'll just go from top to bottom on the card and we'll kind of just give our take on who we think wins, how do we think they win and that kind of thing and see if you can carry on this week's luck into uh, next week. Luck, come on. <laughs> so if, if we start at the bottom of the card, um, we've got Jimmy Manoa taking on Özdemir. I don't even know his first name. Volkan. Volkan um, I think I've told the story before about Manoa where I, I went to interview him and he threatened me down the phone <laughs> <laughs> phoned him up said hi is that Jimmy and he's like who is this how would you get my number <laughs> absolutely shut it couldn't get my words out <laughs> and eventually his managers told me to call him back and we've got it done just about but it, I wouldn't like to bump into him um, if I go first and then we'll kind of go round so so Manoa enters the fight with a 17-2 and two record for this one and 88% of those wins are by knockout so I don't think it's any real mystery how he's planning to win this one. Um, I think the good thing about him is he's more than just a brawler. He's very precise and he can be very patient when he because he knows he's got the power. And I think he has learned. From when I spoke to him, he said he's learned a lot from his two losses which... A loss to uh, Gustafsson, uh, lost to Rumble aren't exactly two bad people to have on your record. Um, I saw he was actually born in California, which so I'll be fighting in his hometown for the first time. Um, but then just looking at his weakness, you would say would be being taken down and being ground out on the floor, while Özdemir averages zero takedowns a fight. <laughs> <laughs> so you think this one's going to go exactly how he wants it to, and I think if you're going to back someone and you're going to fight Manoa at his game, then I don't think I, I would pick against him in that sense. Um, I think maybe in the second round, I think Özdemir only really knows how to be aggressive, even in that Sirkinov fight, when he caught him right on the temple. So he's clearly got the power, because it looked like he barely even touched him there. So I think you you couldn't be too shocked if Manoa got stopped because of the power both of them have. But I think if I was going to go with one of them to win, then I would go with Manoa. Um, Rory, if you want to, are you going with the same thing? Um, yeah, I'd probably lean towards Jimmy Manoa. I do think um, we probably don't really know a lot. Of, it seems strange to say after two fights, but we probably still don't really know a lot about Uzdemir. He had that split decision against OSP, which was pretty close, and then, well, we didn't really get to see anything. It was 28 seconds, I think, against uh, Serganov. But, yeah, I'd probably say Manoa's worthy favourite, and he should get the job done. Um, what about you, TK? Uh, I tend to agree with you in fairness I think the star wise is just a great matchup for Manuel. Um as you said if you're going to play him at his own game there aren't many yeah. that are going to outdo him I think as you kind of alluded to with Rumble I think in your interview with him did he say he didn't, he didn't feel ready for that he said that well? um, he kind of 
he thought that he coming in smaller would help him because he'd be faster. And yeah. then he said he was just far too small. He, he did acknowledge that skill-wise he probably wasn't at the level of Rumble yet, but he said that was his main takeaway, that he is what he called a stationary puncher was how he described himself. And so I think he knows that he's not going to be like a Lomachenko drifting around the <laughs> ring. He's going to just yeah. get the space, plant himself. Absolutely. And, throw his and obviously with, if you're in there with Rumble doing that, then yeah. Going to come and stuck most of the time, so it's, yeah, I think Star Wars it just matches up too nicely for Manuel for it to go anything other than his way. I think if you were to pick a round, what would you say? Uh, I got a feeling he could do something pretty emphatic and do it early, but I'll say round two just to be a little bit more sensible. And uh, what about you, Jack? What are you going for? Yeah, I've got Manuel uh, finishing first or second. I think. I think if, like usually MMA math doesn't work. But yeah, <laughs> the, one, the one common opponent is OSP, and I watched a fight back that uh, yeah. Like, whether it's a draw or like because of a close round maybe but yeah. you saw what Manuel did to him on the field yeah that was and horrendous he, he, just, he just looked a class yeah. that sort of thing if you do have both of them striking I think there's only one winner he's got the incentive I think as well of hoping for the title shot next yeah for sure he's got that next. yeah it's just whether they get, whether they give it to Gustafsson I guess could sell if it's Jones but then if Cormier wins then they've already kind of set up the storyline with him haven't they to go with Manuel yeah, so yeah I mean for us, we don't really have that many British fighters to cheer on, so we'll be hoping for Manu in that sense as well. <laughs> um, moving on then, it seems crazy that we've got a fight like this so low down the card, but we've got Lawla Cerrone. And uh, if I go to you first, Rory, on this one, um, who are you going with here? Uh, this is one I've actually really been racking my brains and, I, and I'm struggling to pick a winner. But... I'm going to go for Cowboy. Okay. Um, I'm surprised that the betting is pretty pretty one-sided yeah. with Lawler, but um, I just think, well, you know, Cerrone's going to be the most active fighter out of anyone he ever fights, but, you know, Lawler has been off for a while, and I just think that the Cowboy might just be able to, over three rounds, stick him with a couple of good shots and, and maybe just... You know, Lawler's not going to stop coming forward, and if Cerrone can cut some nice angles and use that kickboxing that he's been doing to great effect for the most part lately, yeah. and he's even been throwing in the odd takedown, but I'm not sure he's, I'm not sure if he definitely get Lawler down, but just having that extra element of, of something else for, for Lawler to think about. Yeah. Um, so I think he'd, he'd grind out a unanimous decision victory. Yeah, um, you might not be happy with what I'm going to say here if... Um... Oh, no. I, I quite like Cowboy. This is the, probably the only time I'll root against him in the fact that I just prefer Lawler. But I think here the main um, method to victory for Robbie will be the body strikes. I think it's been clear that Cerrone, that is his point of weakness. And I think he's probably the more technical boxer out of the two of them. Um, I also think, aside from Woodley, he has shown that he does have a very good chin and I'm not prepared to write that off just on one loss. Um I also think, which is what you might not be too happy about with Cerrone, I think when he's hurt, he can go into his shell a bit. And I think we've seen with Lawler, particularly with um, the McDonald fight, that he is happy to stay in there and go in and grit it out. Whereas I'm not sure Cerrone's got that in him if he gets brought into a horrible dogfight. So I think Lawler stops him late in the third. But this is one of them where you wouldn't really be surprised by any outcome. I think the most surprising for me would be if Cowboy was to stop him, but then I guess we don't know how much each of them have left at this late stage of their career. Something I thought was quite interesting was um, 
Cowboy said he doesn't spar anymore before a fight. He said he literally just does the move rounds because he knows what it's like to be hit. He knows how to fight and he's not prepared to take any more damage in the run-up to a fight. Well, Lula said a similar thing as well. Yeah. I think he's only just started sparring again recently, but before this he took like mm. a six-year break from sparring as well. So, What about you, Jackie? Who are you going with for this one? I've got Lawler by finish as well. Yeah. I think, although he's had a long nerf as well, you've had Cerrone that's had, coming up to nine months, I think, off. Yeah. And the, I think the last time he had a layoff that much was the Dos Anjos fight where he got finished early. Yeah. And I think he just doesn't bode well with a, with a long layoff from that. So I, th- I honestly think Robbie finishes him quite early as well yeah um, I'll be happy if Lawler wins but it'll be quite bittersweet because I don't really want to see Cowboy going out on his back yeah you're a fan of both aren't you yeah what about you TK who are you going for we're split I'm going to go with Rory and go Cerrone Um, not I don't easily come to that conclusion like you said it's a fight where you can't if it went the distance you'd say it's probably been a bit of a war and they're both tough men who've made it through and if one of them finished it they both got the capacity to finish any fight really don't they um I'm not entirely sure how much Lawler's got left. I know it might sound a bit... I thought you were probably going to scowl at me when I said mm. that. But I think someone as tough as him who's been in the wars he's been in and then to have, like you said about Woodley, it's not, I'm not going to treat off the back of that. Yeah. But we've seen in other UFC fighters the effect that can have on your chin. Yeah. And I wonder if Cerrone does start landing some of the bombs he can land. And Rory said himself, is... Um, his kickboxing, but also his takedowns have improved as well uh, towards the kind of latter stage of his career. Um, like you said, it's kind of a shame that it's so far down the card in a way. Yeah. Because on another, maybe I suppose if it had been a few years younger, they probably would have been something, yeah. wouldn't they? But I mean, I guess kind of uh, what you said about the chins with um, Weidman's maybe a good demonstration of that mm. because he's looked so dominant and then since being knocked out, it looks like he just has to be hit clean now and he's going down. Particularly, we saw. Gastelum landed, I think, one punch, and he went down. I mean, we, we didn't mention it earlier, but when Gastelum got hit, that head movement on the cage where he ducked about 20 punches, just moving back and forth. But, yeah, I'm hoping they both have at least one more war left in them. But and I, the only gutting thing for me is it's not five rounds. Yeah, definitely. The point that I was going to say about the fight, the fact that it's only three, is you go through Lawler's recent wins. So, obviously, you got Cowboy by t Wood. It was a split decision against Carlos Condit when, when yeah. you know, very, very controversial. Yeah. <laughs> he then KO'd McDonald late. When he, after three rounds, he was probably losing the fight. Yeah. You then go back, and then he had a split decision win against Johnny Hendricks, where again, he could have been losing the fight after three rounds. The Hendricks and Condit, the Hendricks one, I actually thought he'd lost, and I was kind of hoping that he won. I convinced myself at the end, like, there's nothing wrong with this decision. <laughs> the Condit one, I know a lot of people were unhappy about that. Was it the Hendricks one where the fight finished and he tried carrying on punching yeah, yeah. because he was just in the zone and he, <laughs> he was just banging his fist together? But I think we, whoever wins, we wouldn't be too disappointed if they were to fight Woodley or Meyer. Well, I guess as much as people can like Meyer, which we'll get onto, so we won't go into a prediction now, but I think you get the better matchups for anyone if it's Woodley who's got that belt. There's a reason why. Yeah. Um, so then, if we go up the card again, then we have um, Cyborg against Evinger. Um I guess um, the natural place to start here is Durandami. Disgraceful. I would have loved to see her get absolutely pounded by Cyborg. 
but con- conveniently <laughs> now a fight's been made. She's just been booked for UFC um, Rotterdam. Oh, so <laughs> yeah, discuss. Yeah. <laughs> ah, she kept hitting home late as well. Um, I was Avenger is um, like an aggressive fighter. I was I can't say I'm too much of an expert on her fights, but I was doing a bit of uh, looking today when I was working from home. Um, and I've seen that. Uh, I think if you're going to beat Cyborg, you either need to be very technical and be able to stay out of range and be able to stay on your feet, or you need to have freakish power. And I'm not sure she has either of those. She's particularly aggressive, which you think she's either going to move into a takedown and just get mauled on the floor, or she's going to walk into something big on the feet. Um, I'm not entirely sure how old Cyborg is, but Evan's just 36, and I think she's had a tougher career than Cyborg as well. Okay, well, I think she's had a tougher career as well, and um, Avenger probably doesn't have the bonus of being on some of the substances that Cyborg <laughs> is almost certainly on. Almost certainly. Yeah, so I'll go for um, uh, Cyborg KO. I think on this part, I feel bad for Avenger that it's five rounds, because if she is tough, oh, God. then it could just be absolutely horrible to watch. Um, Jack, if we go to you, I'm assuming you're going with Cyborg as well. (laughs) I think, especially as well, because with Evinger, she is almost like 100% a grappler as well. (laughs) You've got to think Cyborg's going to have at least 20 to 30 pounds on her, so even if she does somehow get her down, she'll be ragdolled. I'm actually quite scared for her. Yeah, it's one of those fights, isn't it, where you think, I'm worried for her. I mean, when we see the face-off, I'm not sure how bad it'll look, (laughs) but I go back to... um, the Garcia Salka fight where there was the face off and you looked at Salka and you're like, honestly, oh, I feel so bad. For you. I feel so bad for you doing this. It's just quite funny about like, the promos as well when they tried to when they tried to promote the fight and they're like convincing themselves. Yeah, they, they just said, you know, they're here for UFC just selling it as we got three title fights. Yeah. So I'm I'm assuming this one is going to be done fairly quickly. Um, Rory, are you going to shock us and be going for Evinger or? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, Cyborg gets it done early. She's got, well, it, it's scary to see how much power she possesses. I mean, one point I made a couple of weeks ago about when we did the can you push certain people, and I said it's hard to get behind some of the women fighters because of the, the potential yeah. or lack of potential for a KO. Well, Cyborg's got yeah. no worries there. <laughs> she can hit with both hands and knees are vicious. And as you say, she's, she's got a ground game as well. Um, yeah, I, I can see it maybe going into the second, but I can't see it going much much past about the seven-minute mark. Yeah. TK, you going to echo that? Yeah, it's going to be full house. Um, I think we're all probably pretty terrified of Cyborg. So I think, as you kind of said about Evans' age, I think, it's going to have to take probably someone young and very, very skillful who can probably run for half the fight as well or someone who kind of meets power with power and can just happen to take her out. I'm not sure she's got either of them, so I reckon early on. Is there only potential that maybe if if Evinger is as tough as some people think, Cyborg's gas tank empties? Is that the only thing you could maybe... I guess, yeah, but it's kind of like Mayweather-McGregor, not quite the same disparity, but where you're literally clutching at some freakish thing happening for them to be able to do it. Hopefully, um, Cyborg stops ducking Holly home after oh this God. one. I do think that is the kind of thing you need, someone who is a technical striker. I'm not saying she'll win, but that's probably the best matchup I can think of for her. Maybe a Shevchenko. 
Yeah, she, my she girl. To maybe step up. Can you imagine Amanda Nunes stepping yeah. there and then? Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. She's big as well. She's big. Yeah, she's big for the weight that um, she has talked about. She wouldn't mind yeah. trying to do it. So. I guess um, if Whitaker is injured and Bispin's looking for another opponent, then Cyborg, <laughs> <laughs> if she comes through. <laughs> up again, probably one of the. Definitely one of the hardest to predict, I would say, or maybe the most interesting on the card is um, Woodley Meyer. Um, Jack, if I go to you uh, first on this one, who are you going to go for here? Although I, although I can't stand Woodley, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to him because I think it's only been a month of training camp for Meyer, so despite him not having the best preparation as well, I think Woodley sort of knew this was always coming along this matchup, so he could train for it. And with the calibre of his wrestling, yeah. I can't see him might get him down. I think it was um, Rory said a couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure if it was whilst we were recording, he's that bad at striking that he thinks maybe some of us could genuinely stand a chance with Meyer on the feet. Yeah. It's that bad. <laughs> yeah. um, so would you go for stoppage or would you yeah, say I, decision? I, I think he cares him. Cause yeah. Especially after looking back at the Masvidal fight as well. He, he had great success on the feet and that. It was Masvidal's like, yeah. calibre of wrestling. is nowhere near. Um, I love to see my... yeah. I'm I'm gonna go for Woodley, um, the most harshly treated champion in UFC history, as he said. <laughs> um, I've seen they've been pushing his promo a lot for this fight, so I reckon he's had a bit of a whine. He's been on all the radio shows and everything for this. Um, pretty similar to what uh, Jack said. I'm I'm quite confident with Woodley here, as he said. Looking back at the Masvidal fight, I think with Woodley is what you'd class is a complete MMA fighter in that he's got the power, he's got the takedowns um, he's astute enough on his back or if he's taking someone down and I think his power, I think he's going to get to Maya at some point during the five rounds and I think if Maya hasn't had the training camp that he would have liked, shooting for those takedowns and when you're not getting them, that gasses you out very quickly and so if you're tired, you can't strike and you're stood there with Woodley then it's not going to end well for you, so um I'll say round three, I think um, Woodley's power carries him through and he gets the job done. Um, Rory, what about you? I know you're quite a big fan of Meyer, but are you able to pick him here? Uh, I really like Meyer, but um, when you said it's one of the closest matches on, on the card, I actually think it's one of the biggest. Oh, okay. I think Woodley's going to absolute steamroller him. Um, I, I think Meyer, yeah, he is unbelievably good on the ground. I really like his style, the fact he's, you know, he. It's a disservice to say he's one-dimensional because he's so good at it, but, you know, he, he is one-dimensional. It's nice to have something a bit different, yeah, isn't it? he's kind of like the lost art of a true martial artist, you know? Um, but, yeah, I, I think Woodley could absolutely pulverise him on the feet and not really have to be worried about getting taken down. And um, even though, you know, Myers has, has fought a, a heavier weight class, I still think Woodley's going to have the strength advantage over him as well. Yeah, I th- uh, and I think maybe you might even see Woodley throwing leg kicks that he's not even really going to have to worry about, you know, and he could he could just chop him apart yeah. very very quickly. I I think um, kind of like you know what Whitaker did for the middleweight division in that he got rid of the guys that just nobody else wanted to match up with. This could be what Woodley's doing here because he's probably the best matchup for Meyer, and he could just be doing the rest of the division a favour because I don't think you're going to see um, Dana rushing. To put him back in with any of his big guys. In fact, well, he made him what was it yeah, seven seven wins before he gets a shot. Yeah, they haven't rushed him for the title. No, so. 
um, TK, are you going to complete a full house or are you going with Maya? No, unfortunately, I can't really make a case for Maya. Um, <clears throat> too many weapons for Woodley. I think Maya's going to find out that you know he's waited a long time for this and then it's kind of going to dawn him quite quickly. It's shame about the lack of prep, as you said. That's a bit of a... I think that does affect the fight badly, unfortunately. Um, if Woodley wasn't as good a wrestler, then I think you could obviously make a case that in going there, despite Woodley's striking abilities, you could say, okay, Maya might be able to get to him, but with that in mind, I don't think he's going to take him down. I think Woodley takes him out of there. Yeah, one one thing I would add is um, I think Maya's style kind of determines on him being able to dictate the pace of the fight, and I think mm. Woodley is that, com- that complete that he's not going to allow him to have his fight. And I think with Maya's style, as we've kind of all touched upon, it's very good when it's going your way. But when it's not going your way, then you're kind of treading water and you're vastly, very quickly running out of stamina. And he's going to have all those weapons coming at him and he's going to have only one thing he can do back. Kind of like Ryan Hall. He's probably the closest thing I can think to Maya in that if you can eliminate that chance of going to the mat with him, then you can do what you want. It's it's like when uh, Maya fought Rory McDonald, and he was so successful in the first round they stood up and Rory McDonald landed that one body kick and he just wilted <laughs> I've, I've never seen a fighter just go from you know such a high to such a low with, with one like one strike normally you see a bit of a barrage and you think yeah. oh god it's the tide changer I just think Myers you know, I, I love Meyer and I hate Woodley but I cannot see Meyer getting anywhere um, anyway, close to taking him down, really. A bit off topic. Did you happen to see um, the Shane Burgos fight on the card on Saturday? Yeah, Did you see that um, that body shot that, that he chopped up. in? Yeah, that was, was horrible. The way he literally folded him. And um, we're going to have Burgos on here in a fortnight's time. He's on holiday at the moment. When he comes back, then he's going to sit down. And so, if we get any questions in there, then we can fire them off and we'll get him on here. Maybe if anybody could tweet us a question, yeah. maybe if they want to get get it in there. Definitely. And then from here then, uh, we're on to the main event. So we've got Cormier Jones, which I know um, Rory doesn't like Jones and he doesn't like Bispin, so I'm not sure what he's doing here. (laughs) But I'll kick off this one. I'm going with Jones here. I couldn't pick against a coked up Jones, and so I'm I'm certainly not going to pick against a fresh and focused one. He, he he's embracing the heel now which I've spoken to Jack about a couple of times and I don't know if you saw the interview on Saturday night where they asked um, DC what he thought about Jones and then they asked the question the other way around and he literally said fuck DC and just, <laughs> yeah. wa- and just left the mic and just walked <laughs> off so that thing as well with him supposedly saying um, his style to beat DC was going to be hit and run yeah, so he's literally so dark <laughs> so dark I think um I think he'll control the range and he may even try and take DC down early just to plant a few seeds of doubt in his head. And I think if the cut is as hard as it looked for DC last time, then going into those later rounds, and I think Jones might be able to pick him off. Um, when I picture it, I don't envisage him stopping Cormier. I think the only thing there would be if Cormier was to lay it all out on the line and then go for broke and he was to get taken down and caught in something or clipped. But... If if I was to put my house on it, then I would say a Jones decision would be what I'm going for. Um, Rory, are you going to make the case for Cormier, or are you picking Jones despite not liking him? Um, <laughs> I I can genuinely actually see if DC's ever going to beat Jones, 
then obviously it's got to be now. Um, the, the obvious thing you'd have to worry about Cormier is the weight cut. I mean, even in that interview of the weekend, he, he looked like a man who'd, who'd been a little bit ill lately, to be honest. Um, uh, as they say, the older you get, the harder it is to cut the weight. Yeah. And, and Cormier's hardly got age on his side now. But, uh, yeah, if he's ever going to beat Jones, I just look at how Jones fought against OSP. And I know, I know Luke, that you, you think he would fight completely differently if that would have been against Cormier. Yeah. But that's still in the back of my mind that, that you know, maybe, maybe Jones isn't going to be at his best on a Saturday night. And, and DC has got the ability to, to do something. Yeah. You know, I mean, I even had a, a weird dream when you put your, like, alarm on a five-minute yeah. snooze <laughs> and you have that one random dream. So Cormier landed and and uh, Bigfoot Silver style uppercut and stopped John Jones. <laughs> wow! But uh, I don't see that happening. I think if Cormier is going to beat him, he's going to pressurise him, maybe get the odd takedown or two, and maybe grind up a, a yeah. close decision. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with Cormier. I'm going to put my neck on the line and say that Cormier gets the job done. Yeah. And then. Jones annihilates him in the rematch. Um, <laughs> just, just to kind of um, like interject there with what we were saying about the weight cut. Um, after he'd weighed in for the Rumble fight, he actually said, "This is the last time I'm ever going to do this cut." And I guess it's the Jones fight has come back up, and they asked him about it after, and he said, "You'll say some crazy things when you're going through that." <laughs> I don't think anything could be as bad as Selby, where he literally turns yellow when he's doing the weight cut. Yeah, he looks but, horrible. That must be just the, just the size of him because I think we had um, we kind of mentioned the other week when we were saying about people like weighing in at the same weight. Maybe a comparison would be um, the Broner and Garcia fight this weekend, in where they're going to be weighing in the same, but physically Broner is going to be a lot stronger. And I think the comparison then with Jones and Cormier is if one of us was to say we were going to have Jones or Cormier like scrambling on top of us then we would pick Jones because Cormier is so like physically imposing with the size of him that I think if he's on top of Jones then maybe it could get a bit tough um Jack what about you I've got Jones by decision but I was going back and forth over this purely because of the unknown with John Jones like you don't yeah, know that's it you don't have a clue what to expect <laughs> especially sober as well like, I think is he, yeah, it is like easy for people to refer back to the OSP fight, but I think Jones will raise his level to the standard in which he's facing. Yeah. So I think that's, with DC coming in, and it's pretty self-explanatory what DC's going to do. He's going to come yeah. to look to have that one-arm clinch and throw uppercuts and that. So, But with Jones, you don't know what he's going to do because he's been saying he's been working on his jiu-jitsu and in the first fight you pull guard on him yeah. and one of the rounds as well. So I... I really don't know what to expect, but if I did have to say it, I would, it would be Jones by decision. Jones to win and then sniff a line off Cormier's head. All <laughs> <laughs> the ref doing the decision. TK, who are you going for? Yeah, I'm going with Jones. I'm, I didn't have an eye about it too much. Um, as we mentioned, his unpredictability is kind of the thing. This, I think whenever you go into a fight though, where you're saying that oh, but maybe Jones is going to struggle is you're kind of collecting a little bit you can make clearer reasons for Jones in comparison I think if you look at the original fight the thing that impressed me most about uh, John Jones was the fact that he was able to just when DC did have him kind of clinch he still wasn't able to get him down he showed you said about how um, DC's a lot bigger and stronger but yeah. I think Jones showed more strength than people realised at that point and I think it was at that point you kind of realised just what a sort of multi-facet his fighter he sort of has he has so many different skills that 
Um, I can't really make a case for DC on this one. I've, even though I actually, when DC gets booed and stuff, I actually feel kind of bad for him. I think he seems like a nice enough <laughs> yeah. guy and he's done a lot for the sport oh, as well. When but you ever see a US Olympian get booed? <laughs> no. What do you have to do to do that? Against... You're getting booed against a guy who's like <laughs> guilty of hit and run, snorkel, whatever. I tweeted on Saturday and said, if you were to describe Jones to me outside of MMA and someone said they liked him, I'd think they were absolutely mental. But this is MMA. We do love a bad guy. And this is obviously why. Yeah. Well, and then I think I, when. I root for the good guy. Yeah. Well, I think. <laughs> I like that. It's different. I think I like... when someone. Well, I'll probably be Bar-tale guilty of this myself. Song. You're, you're <laughs> definitely think, guilty. I think when someone consistently tells you how nice they are it kind of puts you off and it makes you question a bit more with Luke I'm such a nice guy Byron saying this <laughs> I, 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 I the most hypocritical man around this table well, at least I, I embrace that <laughs> um, I guess we'll, we may be having a chat next week and saying how absolutely wrong we were or it may be the other way around and we've nailed it because I think we're largely the same for the majority of the fights. Um, hopefully we get like a good event from top to bottom because that card had the lowest ever ratings for um, a UFC on Fox card on Saturday. And that was really good from top to bottom, the fights on there. So um, maybe we'll be able to talk a bit about um, the Tuesday night fights with Dana as well next week. Snoop on the commentary. <laughs> I did actually, after Troy was on about it last week, I went back and, and you, watched some of the highlights. And Did you watch last week with <laughs> Sugar, Sugar, Sugar Sean O'Malley? I didn't. I, I've just been catching kind of little brief moments on, on YouTube. And if you see that, he's... comical gold. He's a proper, like, wispy, like, stick-thin kid, and he was doing all these flashy kicks and punches, and he got a knockout, I think, in the second round. And um, I think Snoop called him, like... Um, Sugar walked down any alley or Mali or something like that, <laughs> and they got a picture after saying he was going to bring him to his after party and all things like this. But hopefully, we they've been quite good fights on there because winning doesn't guarantee you a contract, you have to then put on a show on top of it. So, they had a guy who won his first fight of the night and he won by decision. and He said, Well, I'm happy with the win, but I know that's not going to get me a contract, so they're Jeez. encouraged to when they're two rounds up in the second half of the third round to still be putting it on the line and going for the knockout. So it kind of does guarantee you good fights every week. Sticking with the topic of UFC, uh topic that Rory actually uh, suggested a couple of weeks ago but has just said he hasn't prepared for. <laughs> so hopefully you can think quickly on the spot here. I knew the answers when I set the question. Um... If I go around the table, I guess we kind of do um, whoever everyone's favourite fighter is and maybe we'll be able to take that into account when we're doing future predictions and we know if someone's <laughs> being particularly outrageous. Um, if I kick us off, I would say currently mine would probably be Max Holloway. Um, I kind of judged it on who I'm the most nervous when I see them fighting, so maybe Jones would be up there, but I don't have as much nerves as I see him fighting because I'm fairly confident. Um, but I would say Holloway, particularly the the win against Aldo, um, that was huge. And I've kind of taken to him since the loss to McGregor. Another one that I would kind of say, in terms of maybe not a favourite fighter, but a favourite fighter to watch would be John Lineker. It's another one that I get very into when I see his fights. I saw him, um, it was the Rivera 
fight that he had where they literally just went like rock and sock and robots for the start of the fight. And then I think it was a guillotine at the end of the first round. But Rory, as soon as it's your question, anyone in particular that you know is one of your favourites other than Bisping? <laughs> Definitely not Michael. Whoever Michael Bisping's fighting. Um, no, there's there's a few probably to go through. I think my original favourite fighter was always Lyoto Machida. Um, coming from or doing karate myself, I always really liked him. Uh, especially that KO against Randy Couture where he, he well, like, yeah, it was like the karate kid kick. Um, probably coming on a bit more now, I really like Cain Velasquez. I'd love it if he got back to full shape because I think he's... He's absolutely brilliant, and he's. I just love the fact he's got a gas tank for five rounds at heavyweight. I think that's something that you very obviously rarely see, and the fact he's a decent kickboxer and a really good wrestler, and when he you know pulverized uh, Brock Lesnar, I don't think anybody didn't enjoy that. I mean, maybe Brock's family didn't like it, but everyone else probably loved it. Um, I like I quite like Habib as well at a lower weight class because again he's just got that mauling style. And I just love watching him, to be honest, when he's just absolutely mauling people. Yeah, so there's a few. To be honest, I've probably got one in every weight class. There's always going to be a guy that I want to be fighting for titles and, and contending. Like, I really like Jacare, but he's kind of fallen off the cliff edge. I have to Whitaker doubt with him very easily. Um, yeah, so there'll probably be the... Uh, Lyoto was the one that really got me when I first started watching MMA, and then... Habib and Kane at the moment, so basically back in Team AKA. Um, so what about you, Jack? Anyone in particular that you would say is one of your favourites? Even though he's coming off the loss, I've got Dominic Cruz as my favourite because he's almost got that like sort of Mayweather mentality of hit and not be hit. And like when you watch his fights, especially against Dillashaw, when everyone thought that was his crypt tonight, and seeing him overcome that, despite the controversy and the decision, I thought I I did. That was a great fight. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah, definitely. And I think I like to watch the more well-rounded people. So someone like Tony Ferguson as well, although his trash talk could be possibly the most <laughs> cringiest <laughs> thing on this planet. I think he is great to watch. And also, again, with Rockhold, he's not one you want to listen to often, but when he fights, he does. Yeah. He, he is pleasing to watch. So those would be my top three. Like you said, um, with Ferguson there, it was kind of like O'Hara Davis was. <laughs> he was giving the trash talk but every time he was saying something he was like I mean complete respect to you if you're going to trash talk then you got to stick to yeah. it um, TK what about you? Yeah, difficult one now Misha takes done I tend to like guys like Cerrone or just kind of epitomise the UFC anytime any place anywhere I'll jump in um, kind of the appeal of USC over boxing to many is that those type of things happen. For that reason, I'd also give it to someone like Joanna as well, who, yeah. as much oh, as yeah. the thing didn't happen where she said she'd step in, you could completely believe she would have stepped in on that day. Mm. And again, one of the most skillful fighters around as well. Like Jack said, I do tend to like, because they're probably more in a little bit of a minority, the skillful fighters like, say, Cruz or, I think you've probably got an argument, argument for um, Garbrandt could potentially yeah, go into that now as well. Footwork, if he, yeah. yeah, the fact that he did that to Cruz is... Mm. I was surprised by that. His personality, you could kind of think, partly I'm probably going to be entertained by it and partly think you're a bad end. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose that's part of the magic as well, isn't it? Well, 
I love Garbrandt until this season of the Ultimate Fighter where <laughs> oh my God, it was just absolutely painful on that clip where he was going, with the hang you with the boys. <laughs> yeah, that, that, one. that one. That one. That one. That one. That one. But that, that was awful. Just to maybe round up a couple of people, I mentioned Lawler in the, in the last uh, set and Bisping I'd have to mention in terms of someone who, regardless of what he's now slated for, for everyone, never ducked a challenge before you give me that look. <laughs> and yeah, I would have had Joanna. I, mean, I think when I was kind of looking back today, I feel like I would have been all in on the Chuck Liddell hype at the time, but it's hard to have that like resonance with a fighter now when you're just looking back at their fights rather than being caught up in like the live. Has anyone else got any that they want to throw in there before? Yeah, I probably forgot my actual all-time favourite. Uriah Faber, and I know that I know that I know that Luke absolutely hates him, and I really don't know why. I'll, I'll say since seeing him on the commentary, I have that has faded. But yeah, I don't know why. Even his walk down to to California, love just everything. He, I just and the, all the wins by Guillotine, which is probably the best submission. He's just a <laughs> flip flops and three quarter length shorts. <laughs> Seems. Yeah, I do actually have flip flops on at the moment. <laughs> yeah, he looks he looks like a poor man's PE teacher, but I I mean I did I just really liked him. Uh, even though he never really quite got the job done in the UFC, I just thought he was a a good fighter and obviously founded kind of was one of the founders of Team Alpha Male, which has produced so many good fighters over, over the years. So Um this maybe will will have a few more differences um, popping up. So if we go for favourite fight um, I was quite struggling when I was thinking this because the first one that came to my mind was um, Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey. <laughs> well, I couldn't sleep after. I was that happy to see her again. So, well, I think I must have replayed it about 80 times. actually sat down when BT replayed it at 10 o'clock the following night <laughs> to sit down and watch it. And just seeing her face when she got slept at the end, as with Nunez, where she just looked yeah. like she had no clue what on earth had happened. And then she'd ridden off to be pounded by Travis Brown, who's another one <laughs> who goes into my list with um, Brown versus Arlovsky, that yeah, one round war. Yeah. And even better that it was Travis Brown that got beaten at the end of it. But for maybe to pick a longer fight, I think it would have to be Lawler McDonald's where. I don't think I've ever seen a better fight than that in anything in terms of like the grit and the fact that where the way McDonald has literally just not physically been able to take any more and then he's gone down at the end and they've asked him apparently on the back he knew what year it was and he just had no clue what on it when um, there's that stare down at the end of the fourth could have been the most like masculine thing I've ever seen (laughs) and then when Lawler was screaming at the end with his lip ripped off um, and then maybe um, Holly Holm and Misha Tate mm. purely for the drama of the finish where holds up on all of the cards and then you know Tate's literally just got to take the back and do it and then she gets it what like a minute to go yeah. and manages to pull it off and that was her that was her winning the title wasn't it so that yeah. was like a big moment there and then just after that was when you had um, McGregor Diaz won mm. which maybe not would be a favourite fight in terms of the fight, but maybe in terms of like the moment where 
despite knowing what Diaz was, everyone was so caught up in the McGregor hype, including myself, that it was mm. hard to ever see him losing like that. And that yeah. post-fight speech as well. Yeah. The best one line Damn. ever. With the two-arm gunshot yeah. as he walks towards the camera. That's what, what, what about you, Jack? Well, I also had the McDonald Lawler, but yeah. then I think, coming more recently, the Swanson and Duho Choi. Because oh. that... Choy, yeah, because <laughs> at the end, how... He like you've never seen him really be tested in the octagon, and the fact that he was able to withstand yeah. that when he's getting like elbowed, knee it was the most insane thing I've ever I seen. Think that was one where I told TK to go over and watch the event, and I just mentioned it. Like, you have got to watch this yeah, fight yeah. back. Well, and because of that event in general, wasn't it? It had it was one of the most slated events to be rubbish, and like nearly all of the fights delivered on that on that pay per view. What, what was the head? It was Holloway and uh, Pettis yeah, for their interim. Yeah. Um, what about you, Rory? Um, favorite fight. I'm gonna have to agree with you, uh, Luke. The Lawler v McDonald fight. Despite the fact um, I really like Rory McDonald, probably only because he shares the same name as me. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was one of the best fights I've probably ever watched. I'd back Rory McDonald to win on points as well, so I was absolutely fuming. <laughs> When he went down, and then it probably compounded it when I had McGregor to win via KO against Mendes. But um, yeah, it, it was just an absolute war. I mean, what a great fight. Maybe um, another one would be, as I said earlier, I really like Cain Velasquez. When Cain Velasquez came back and dominated Junior Dos Santos for five rounds. Um, well, you could pick either the second or the third fight for both of those examples. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd probably give it to the Lawler v. McDonald fight. Dos Santos ahead of this in Garden fight that he's got coming. <laughs> that is not going to go well. Um, TK, what about you? Yeah, kind of echoing what you already said with the Lawler one. That was the first one that kind of came to mind. Probably the most brutal fight I've seen. I think, like you said, like his lips. Yeah. I was just looking <laughs> up. Oh my god. Like his nose was like basically coming off. Ugh. That was when he, he was so like hype when he was just screaming. His yeah. high pitched voice was coming. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you mentioned McGregor Diaz. This, Fairly obvious one, but also the second one was yeah. people. It kind of gets lost a little because of all the trash and stuff. Was actually a great sort of fight yeah. where you probably could have made an argument either way. McGregor probably deserved the decision. And we kind of had a bit more of everything in terms of the striking we saw from it. And yeah, more tactics involved. In what was what turned into an absolute massive fight because yes. it was how McGregor was going to come back. Um, with that um, McDonald Lawler one that we've said, I'm pretty sure I remember messaging Jack just after the end of it. Like, <laughs> what on earth? He's going on. <laughs> yeah. um, if we go on to um, our favourite event, we've covered it, so if I go straight on to it, mine probably would be UFC 189, yeah. where <laughs> that was the first five fights um, on the card all went to a decision, and people were saying, like, what a letdown this card's going to be after it's been hyped up so much. I mean, I don't think a fight went to decision after that. No. You had... Um, Gunnar Nelson going through a Brandon Fats. You had Jeremy Stevens and Thomas Almeida both uh, getting the flying knee knockouts. One of them was against Brad Pickett, unfortunately. Um, And then obviously you had uh, the chief support of Lawler McDonald and then that McGregor Mendes one, um, which I felt stupid the other day. I remember putting in our group chat saying, 
think looking back to that, I think maybe it's a bit of an early stoppage for Mendes. And when I, <laughs> I watched it back, and wow. saw his head nearly taken off. <laughs> Even just with that, the, the moments I look back on would be um, Lawler when he's getting announced, where he's got the belt and he kind of looks up to the crowd. He's got his arms out, and you can see him taking it all in. You have the stare down, which you said about, and then um, where they had Sinead O'Connor doing McGregor's yeah, yeah. Uh, ring walk which was like the first time they've actually uh, filmed the walk-ons for the UFC. So that that was just huge. Was it not the first Reebok? I mean, I know that's slightly yeah. different, but yeah, it was the yeah, first Reebok was. event as well. I mean, it, it was it was like build beyond build. Um, yeah, and that was, it was unbelievable. I thought the Reebok deal was quite a good thing until I actually read into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only other one that I could think of in terms of um, an event was UFC 196 with uh, McGregor Diaz 1 and uh, Tate Holm, which we've gone across both of them. I would say as much as you kind of feel like a fanboy when you just talk about McGregor, he does have that big fight feel typical mm. to yeah. maybe like a Joshua fight over here where everyone is talking about it before it happens. You see the people that's uh, up at Twitter on like 3am that you would never normally have. Yeah. And I guess they know they're going to get the buy so they can stack it, which I quite like because in boxing, when you've got a big business. headliner, they just don't stack it because they know people are going to buy it anyway. Mm. Whereas yeah. UFC, they stack it because perhaps they don't have the guaranteed buys. So they want to get their buys that they possibly can out of it. And they presumably take the approach that people will buy into us if they just watch them great fight and then they'll come back and watch more if they think, oh, this card's mm-hmm. full of great fighters. Yeah, they said with the UFC 189 thing, one of the big things that got picked up after with, um, I think, the press that don't usually follow those kind of sports was um, the fact that they leave the blood on the canvas and they don't wash it off. Mm-hmm. And you have part of them saying how barbaric it was. But as a fan, if you're flicking the channels, you flick and you see blood all over the canvas and you see two <laughs> blokes about to go in there, it does reel you in because you think, oh, I'm getting somewhere like juicy to watch here. Yeah. Compared to, <laughs> to tippy <laughs> tap. Well, the best comparison I can have is my dad, where I've told him to watch UFC. <laughs> <laughs> Where's this going? Where my dad, where I've told him to watch it, and he says, why would I want to watch that? It's just two blokes just hugging on the floor. Whereas obviously it is completely different and when you actually buy in and when you have followed UFC then you can appreciate that but you do know there is far more and it can be kind of more brutal than boxing and that you get a hit when you're like knocked out on the floor. And yeah, that. yeah. Um, Jack, do you have any other events that you would go into? I had UFC 202 in there as well. I feel like yeah. a proper McGregor fanboy, fanboy <laughs> now doing this but then I remember that tweet you sent me and it was back in, I think it was after McGregor fought Holloway. And I like gave him the shout out, thinking I was like <laughs> Mystic Mac. Then yeah, when you when you looked through the the two hundred two card, it was it was a great one because you had Cody Garbrandt securing that title shot with that yeah. brutal KO, and then that Cerrone finish on Rick's story, yeah. which could have been one of the best combos. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And then the Johnson Teixeira, where everyone thought it was going to be a three round war, and then and then Johnson just starches him for like thirteen seconds. That is a scare. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rory, what about you? You got any any anyone in particular? Um, yeah, I'm gonna go right to a throwback and go for tough one. When we had uh, Forrest Griffin v. Stefan Bonner, which was like now even now they still talk about it as one of the best fights, and perhaps maybe we should have even given that a mention in yeah. in the last bullet point. And you know it, that was a 
unbelievable fight and a card that, that they sometimes say saved UFC in the sense, like you said then, Byron, of if you tell your dad, I'll go and watch this. And they, you know, people were telling their friends, you've got to put it on. Yeah. You've got to put it on. There's these two blokes and they're absolutely pummeling each other. Um, and then, yeah, UFC 198. 198? The... 189. 189, yeah. sorry. Um, yeah, that, w- that would be one I'd go to just purely because of the amount of good fights there was. And probably 205. I mean, yeah, like we say, we keep harping on about McGregor, but it had Habib Johnson, it had Joanna, it had, um, yeah, it had uh, Wonderboy v. Woodley, which, you know, wasn't the best fight, but it was still, you know, three title fights. You can't go wrong, really. I think maybe an interest. Yeah. Woodley, Wonderboy. After you just mentioned UFC 198, that was um, Vadim Miocic. Oh, sorry, sorry. (laughs) My mistake. Uh, yeah, sorry, 189. Um, but the 205, like I said, three championships. I'd probably say that it sounds like we've only started watching UFC in perhaps the last like 18 months to two years, but it's a lot easier now to have a brilliant cup because they do stack these cards with like multiple multiple uh, championship fights. And I think that is perhaps why we've picked ones from a little bit more recently than, than perhaps going back to the early days when we started watching. No, I was going to go with obviously the um, one eighty nine card, yeah. um, but then Jack Shelt with the ones with the yeah. Cerrone knockouts and the Johnson knockouts was two yeah. most brutal knockouts I've yeah. seen. That was a, a solid card. Um, I would ask because we kind of touched on it then. How each of you got into watching UFC? Because I, I've said it a couple of times on here. The first time for me was um, when boxing had finished, and I flicked over and gave it a chance. And the first one was um, Dillashaw where he won the belt. Um, against Helen Barrow and the second time that really was when I started making a case to watch it was um, Mendes Aldo 2 which probably could have gone on my best fights list um, in terms of seeing the back and forth um, their promos uh, kind of unrivaled the UFC ones they can really sell it to you and get you into it almost like the wrestling ones where they build the whole like story from front to back um, but I don't know how any of you got into it um, a really random one, actually. I, I downloaded the fight, the UFC game, where it had Chuck Liddell and I think Shogun on a, a like a demo, and I was like, oh, this looks quite fun. And then I started watching it from there, which is a bit random, but uh, I, I, yeah, I, st- I started thinking, well, I'm gonna have to give it a try now. And uh, that was when people like Anderson Silva were ripping through the division, and yeah, there were some obviously great fighters, but and I've kind of just been steadily getting more into it since then and now you know it's kind of a case that you don't want to miss a card I mentioned it with um, Jack where I remember him tweeting me saying if you give UFC a chance then you will love it I'm not sure about this I mean obviously it it did work but what about you Jack how did you get into it well the first one was a really random one it was when I had like Spike TV and it was in the WEC when Uriah Faber and uh, Aldo fought and it was I don't know if you've seen it, but it's one of the most brutal... Yeah, an exhibition of leg kicks. Yeah, like, Faber's leg was just black and blue all over it. It was disgusting. Then I think from that, it was... I didn't really get into it after that, but then the next bit was just, like, watching a Rampage fight and just his highlights of just knocking people out with that left hook, left and right hooks were disgusting. So I think from that, then I got into the into the cards from there. TK, you kind of started watching it with me when we watched the boxing, what was kind of the first one that you would say got you into it? Or is there anyone you can kind of look back on or what you say is McGregor kind of reeling you in? 
Greg has probably reeled me more in in terms of I would probably watch almost any kind of UFC yeah. I'd be happy to watch before I'd probably tend to watch bigger ones so I remember I can't remember what the first one I saw was but I think it might have been Anderson Silva someone like that I kind of knew the names like John Jones Cain Velasquez yeah. etc and kind of like you said about McGregor the, the personality side of it I thought maybe I didn't see with some UFC fighters mm. that kind of reeled me in more and more and like I said once you've kind of seen a bit you tend yeah. to have an idea of the fighters and you know these cars are stacked and you know you're almost guaranteed that's kind of the difference between that boxing I'd say is UFC comes with almost a guarantee of some good fights on there yeah. with boxing it can shit out the whole card yeah. I remember trying to sell um, UFC to our mate Luke and I got him to watch um, Anderson Silver against Nick Diaz with me which obviously was <laughs> one of the worst he <laughs> did he watched um McGregor Diaz two of us because he didn't stop talking the entire way through it. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully then we get some of the fights that are on this weekend and add those to our list if, if it goes as planned. This Saturday, Adrian Broner takes on Mikey Garcia at the Barclays Centre in Brooklyn. This involves Mikey Garcia going up in weight and Brona, I guess, coming down in weight for this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, just to kick it off, the thing that first um, caught my eye with this fight was the with the betting odds. Yeah. Uh, Mikey Garcia is currently a one to five favorite. Which, looking at the odds for his, for his other fights, I think the bookmakers just routinely get it wrong with Brona. Um, going into the Paulie Malinaji fight, he was a one to eleven favorite. Bearing in mind, he was going up and wait there. Yeah. And that was the shot of the title, yeah. which obviously he won, but it was a razor thin split decision. Yeah. Which I thought he lost, but. People have been talking him up a lot at that point. He's yeah. Up and come around, and we haven't seen his struggles. Yeah, point. exactly. Good, he was also a one to four favourite against Maidana, which obviously went the other way. <laughs> so it's kind of like they jumped off the bandwagon too much, if I was to say. Yeah. I think but, it might have come in a little bit. I looked, um, I looked earlier, I think my guess is 1-3 now. Oh, okay. Brian, Brian is still 12. That's probably about right, I'd say, 1-3. So, yeah, maybe a little a little closer. Because I think the thing that we kind of have happen is you see a guy knock out people at a lower weight and people just assume he steps up and people are going to feel his punches the exact same way. Yeah, we assume he's just going to carry on beating Yeah, everyone. which obviously isn't the case. But Broner is obviously the bigger guy. And I guess the the thing is, he he has shown brilliance, which is why you can never really count him out in a fight. Yeah, he's that classic um, sort of erratic yeah. performer who sometimes will look great, sometimes look terrible. Sometimes in the same fight, he'll be doing that. And I mean, he's never been knocked out, which again is testament because a guy like him, I guess the biggest comparison would be O'Hara Davis. I can think <laughs> of in that yeah. talk, talking the shit, but then. At the same time, Broner is prepared to hang in there when it gets tough. He could easily have quit in that Maidana fight. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. He was, he was, he was exactly the type of you thought he'll quit when it gets. Yeah. Tough. And the going gets tough for someone like Maidana. I know he's often a classic case of talking about the tough upbringing and stuff, but I think he's kind of had that sort of tough sort of upbringing where he will stay in there regardless of the smack talk stuff he does. Yeah. I think he will stick in and, and take his lumps. And he does step up and fight people as well. Yeah. It's not like he'll refuse a big... Oh, no, definitely. So. I mean, because someone like Sean Porter, you know, was just awful for his style. Yeah. And he still doesn't 
duck away from it at all. The worry with that being if he's as good a boxer as we thought he was, yeah. he's supposed to be, and then he should be able to outskill like, Porter. But I mean, no one it. has an easy night with Porter, do they? It's always a tough night, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Um, just, just to kind of veer off slightly, have you seen Porter's call-out video for Danny <laughs> Garcia yet? That's the best thing I've ever seen him do. I saw it, and I was like, <laughs> what the hell is this? And then people criticise it, and it's like, why would you criticise him trying to sell a fight? Obviously, he doesn't have much more to sell other than he's going to be a tough night's work for you, but you're probably going to nick him just at the end. Yeah. But this, like, if give him a bit of personality in there as well. If he shows a bit of personality, so if he becomes quite yeah. a good sell. I mean, the more I see of him, he is a very likeable guy. His personality comes across yeah. well. His dad's a bit, mm, not too sure. But then, it's hard to say when. Imagine his dad and Danny Garcia's dad. It'd be absolute carnage. <laughs> That'd be a great setup point. Well. Yeah. The two going head to head, as, as it always is. With Jesus, Garcia. after the similar things his dad said last time, but if he <laughs> says some things to Porter, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my word. But, I mean, I spoke to you about this before when we were talking about the topics we were going to do, and I said that you might not be happy when I go into this fight. I sense we might have some split opinions on it. Um... I would like to draw you back to... I'm going to see your face when I say this. When Brona fought Antonio DeMarco. (laughs) Brona dismantled him. Now, I'm not saying that Mikey Garcia is Antonio DeMarco. If you compare the style, like a fundamentally fundamentally sound... Not flat-footed, but I don't. I wouldn't say particularly light. He he he, he more walks you down than being light on his toes. A Mexican star fighter who who comes forward, as I said, and I'd say again that's Mikey Garcia. But Demarco was a southpaw, whereas Mikey Garcia hits harder. But I guess it's the kind of thing in whether Broner was great that night in hitting and working around the target, and he was the bigger guy in that fight. And I think he needs to find a way that he can utilize his size in this because. His gas tank is ridiculous. The way, the amount of punches he throws for 12 rounds, Broner. He does have gaps in there, but it's just what he does. He's a little bit like Eubank Jr., I would say, where he, he will have pauses, but when he is active... He does, them, he does them well. He knows when he can take his breaks. Yeah, yeah. He's not quite like Eubank, where he ducks his head and just walks off <laughs> in the middle of the round. Doesn't get quite as much stupid sort of posing. And I do think Broner, from some of the stories I've heard... I guess he he works like a maniac, like in the gym. But the issue is what he does when he's away from it. I mean, he's like a maniac. Yeah, Garcia is like he's he's the favorite based on consistency. I think, and he's got the momentum. Yeah, like inside and outside the ring, Broner's obviously been all over the place. You kind of rather than picking what's going to happen in the fight, you're picking whether he's going to make it to the fight. Yeah, absolutely. And. I mean, I've seen he's moved uh, to Colorado Springs in the warm-up for this fight, and the last time he did that was before the Malinagi fight, and it's not that that it helps that much, but I mean, it's it's higher altitude, so he obviously knows he's in for a tough fight, and from hearing some other boxers speak about why they've gone there previously, it's very quiet and secluded, and, there, and there's nothing that he can be distracted by there. Get away from it a little bit. A little bit like... Um... BJ Saunders over it. Yeah. To Sheffield, he says nothing to do with. No. You, know, you like training with Booth, like training in London, but all the distractions. And yeah. Friends and family are at home. He needs to get away. Some fighters need to do that, and you'd imagine Broner probably does. For yeah. But something brilliant that Broner's done is, he's been losing, and he still has this aura around him where, 
kind of like Billy Joe Saunders, where you know there's more to come from him, and so you still won't write him off. And he still has that like next Mayweather kind of tag put on him. Yeah. Just more to do with how he acts than the kind of fighter he is. But he obviously still has that. He's still in attraction. Some of the numbers he puts up when he's on TV, he sells, he? he's mastered he's the thing mind. of, you're going to pay to see me get knocked out, or you're going to pay to see me knock someone out. 100%. Probably why most people will watch this. Oh, yeah. And this is the thing with... Um, I don't want to sound like because like two weeks ago I was saying I wanted O'Hara Davis to beat um, <laughs> yes, Josh Taylor, but I guess my my thing is if you're going to do that act, then you've got to stick with it. Yeah. And no matter how many times he gets beat, Broner is not going away from this. <laughs> it's kind of like um, do you know Groves where he was doing in the Martin Murray fight where he was being very complimentary but at the same time he would slip a dig in where you can't really say anything to it because he hasn't actually said anything that bad yeah, yeah. and he's been saying with this one he's like I mean I know Mikey's a hell of a fighter but I can't wait there to punch him in his small little head <laughs> and things like that and it's just planting a little something there but I think the thing for Mikey is he's expected to beat Broner is where, if he can stop him that's a huge statement yeah I think there's Quickly becoming almost an expectation he's going to stop everyone. Yeah. A bit like Golovkin syndrome, where you just—it's not enough to just beat someone. You've got no. to beat them up and get them out of there. Yeah. Which, when you're stepping up in weight, taking on someone who has been in with good opposition, even if he has come and stuck at other times, it's, it's a big ask. You, yeah. Despite the odds showing that you'd think not a walk in the park for him, but the odds would suggest yeah. comfortable. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. I think if Broner can get ahead of steam. And if he can start off early, then it'll be interesting to see how Mikey reacts and to see what Broner does when he's out in front, whether he then chooses to engage. Because we sh- we shouldn't write it off. I mean, Mikey Garcia can be hit because mm. his style, he is very much of the best kind of defence is a good form of offence. And so you take... I don't think he's a big risk taker, but I think there are times when someone of a higher caliber can hit him and yeah. someone of Broner's size, because he is, I think he's going to look quite a lot bigger on the night. I mean, some of the pictures on his Instagram and that, he looks very big in this camp. He's bulkier. Yeah. Sort of high, aren't they? yeah. They, in the face off, they don't look that ridiculous in terms of different size, but he looks like more physically imposing. But it's not. I wouldn't say it's Broner's style. Then it's not to, a bully, is it? You wouldn't imagine too much. No, but there may be a time when in the Porter fight where he knocked him down in the last round, it was almost like he was just sick and he was just annoyed, and it was almost kind of like the bully's been pushing and pushing and pushing, and he just snaps and just like pushed him back, yeah. and it, he just looked more angry and just frustrated. Okay. And so he eventually hit him, and he's obviously gone down. So he does carry some power. Yeah, before he, he was a classic case of. Uh, as a lightweight, he was knocking people off. Yeah, and as he stepped up for the weights, it hasn't quite carried like people maybe imagined it would have. Yeah, but so it's kind of if you're a Garcia fan, maybe look at that as a warning. Yeah, what can happen? I think you step up and wait. it's kind of gone the opposite way now, where he was touted as like the next big thing, yeah. and now it's gone the opposite way, where he's just being written off just completely. Yeah, so he, he's kind of become almost like an attraction, but yeah. Not People aren't talking about him as a dominant sort of no. the way they talk about, say, Errol Spence going through. Furman is yeah. Fairly... He's been saying that uh, now he's actually knuckled down. He's realizing that this isn't too much of a bad cut for him, and so whatever happens, he's planning on staying here now. 
think it's a good weight for him. So I even if you're very lightweight, no, because even if he loses, then it's still there's there's fights out there. Fight, yeah. Losing to Mikey Garcia when you've already lost to Maidana and Porter yeah. isn't bad, is it? No, it's it's just not the elite level people. Expect. No, like Floyd wouldn't. Yeah, so, so I mean, the sort of, that's the problem. If he's getting built up like that. Yeah, he's built up as an ordinary fighter who had done this, you'd be saying, "Oh, why?" Is because he's a four-weight world champion. We do kind he of like. Look, I know some of the wins for the titles weren't quite against. I mean, I can't even pronounce the last bloke he faced. Yeah, and you you contrast them with the losses, and then so people say, oh, "Okay, so when he steps up, he gets." I want him to win just for the interview after. <laughs> so, that Caitlyn Jenner line, honestly, is one that of the best I've ever heard. <laughs> That was class. So yeah, I hope. I just hope that his last fight, I guess, was the Ashley Theophane fight, wasn't it? Which isn't a great level to be jumping from Theophane to Mikey Garcia. Absolutely not. I jumping a little bit on something you said. I think Garcia before his kind of he was out for like two years. Of it, yeah. Right before that, he was showing a little bit more boxing and moving than people thought. He was coming through, and people were expecting him to kind of do the next big thing. Anyway, yeah. Uh, since he's come back, obviously been knocking people out. Obviously, there's like Carlin one is yeah. kind of grabbed attention. Yeah. Um, and I think the, f- the combination of the fact he can box and obviously he's a puncher, I think his power will carry it to an extent. And he, as well, it's not a huge weight difference. Some of the angles he works as well. You don't have to be hit hard in those places no, to be hurt. It's like kind of brutal. Wasn't yeah. It's only we say about seven pounds weight. It's like it is I think five pounds, isn't it? Yeah. From lightweight to lightweight, so it's not. He's not jumping up hugely. It's not like when AB went from lightweight to straight no. to one four seven. Yeah. Which I don't think he's at any pace. I think he's a bit too small for that. So I, yeah, as we probably given the impression, I think I'm picking Garcia. Are you going for knockout or points? I think. I think they might wave it off. I think they might call AB out. I don't think he'll necessarily lay him out. And I think AB can take a punch better than some people give him credit for. Yeah. But I can see those kind of robot legs coming back out again like they were against Madonna. As much as I would love to pick the upset, <laughs> I can't ha- I can't go against Mikey Garcia, but I don't think he'll stop Broner. I think Broner, even if it's going against him, I think he's got enough where he can survive... I think if it's going against him and he knows the fight's not going, I think he his pride will keep him through to the to the final bell. Okay. What do you think's next for the two of them if that's the case? I don't really know. Broner you don't know because a loss might send him into a spiral. He could just yeah. But for Garcia, hopefully Linares gets rid of Campbell in the meantime and then that can set up a fight there because that that would just be a beautiful fight if those two down and, and get that done yeah so hopefully we get that if not you'd hope Crawford and Dongo winner yeah I mean the worst not thing uh, the worst thing about this fight is it's on the same night as UFC 214 yeah someone wasn't thinking that would they no not but so. I guess it's not bad to have a night full of those kind of fights so absolutely hopefully it plays into Hopefully next week we're back to talk about the cam man. <laughs> this week Chelsea confirmed the signing of Alvaro Morata from Real Madrid. Um, and following on from Lukaku being signed for United, which we did slate a bit last week, if you could make it out over Connor's screaming. <laughs> um, the question we'll pose this week is, who is the better signing, Lukaku or Morata? Uh, Connor... This is the first we've heard from you. You've been uh, slacking off a bit this week. 
Um, what what have you got to say on this? Are you going with Lukaku or are you? Uh, would you rather have signed Morata? Um, I think before um, looking at things, I, I would have said Morata. I just think that he's, a, would argue that he's the more mobile striker, and I think it seemed like he was United's first choice by by the way that the media made things out. But um, after sort of bit of consideration of, oh, I think Lukaku does suit United a lot more. Um, I think he's, he's obviously started well, two goals in his first three games. Um, I think he's Premier League proven. Um, I just, I just think that he, he's more suited to the team um, compared to Murata. Actually, um, I mean, being honest, for me, the the thought of Lukaku at United absolutely terrifies me. Um, for the, the price, not so oh, much okay. the player. Okay. Um, the thing for me with Chelsea is. Morata could be a good signing, but I don't really know why they've had to sign him when Costa's been doing such a good job. Um, January, apparently, they told him he had to go. My comparison for this was like trading in Pokemon Red to buy Pokemon Blue. What difference are you really getting? It's like on Football Manager when you've got a guy you've had for several seasons doing a very good job, but you just get a bit bored and you just want to switch up. You see a nice glamorous striker on the transfer market get rid of your one and maybe it's not so good when he hasn't scored for the first five games you're sloping down in the league the board are putting the pressure on you mm, I, the, um, I am getting rid of um, Lewandowski I think it was for Lukaku <laughs> <laughs> I think the pressure really is on Morata um, it's a lot of pressure on him he's, you know, he's only 20 I mean for 75 million to, for him to be main striker at Chelsea where Costa's obviously done so well for the last few seasons consistently over 20 goals obviously bar the blip um, there's a lot of pressure on him you know he's not for Spain in any big tournaments yet as for a team that creates a lot of chances guess um, the thing that was being weighed up is the main reason people are saying Lukaku is the better signing is because he's a proven Premier League goal scorer yeah. whereas Morata obviously hasn't been scoring in the Premier League but then you look and he has been scoring in major tournaments he did score in a Champions League final so I guess it's how much onus you put on the Premier League being unique to other leagues, I guess the physicality is different, but I'm not sure if that is a particular part of his game. It's not like he's a, a small club. Not sure he's going to get ruffled about by being manhandled. He looks like he can handle himself. It's not like, say, well, Lacazette could maybe be a good comparison because I'm not sure he's built the same way in that he may struggle a bit more if he is getting roughed up in certain games, whereas... Lukaku, particularly, we know is strong enough to fend for himself, and Morata, I think, could be that same way as well. So, I guess, as we said, how much do you put on the Premier League being that? But then you would never sign anyone from a foreign league if you simply yeah. took it down to oh, we scored in the Premier League before. I do kind of find it strange that we we look at a player, oh, he's we we need a player who's going to score us Premier League goals. And the whole reason you want them to score Premier League goals is to then qualify for the Champions League when you want a player who's going to score in the Champions League. It just, it's kind of a weird you know, anomaly of, of how it works. But uh, I, I personally think they'll both be successes. They should both get over 20 goals. I mean, Morata's probably been in the strongest front line that we're going to see in our lifetimes with Bale, Ronaldo and Benzema. Well, obviously you've got Barcelona as well at the moment, but... You'd, you'd have to rank them as, as parallels because they both absolutely dominate in certain in certain games. If I was to ask you 
to put money on which you think would be the more successful transfer, which would you put it on, Morata or Lukaku? How would you judge that? Is that purely Premier League goals or, or kind of um, what I the general consensus? Well play, yeah, how well they fit in, how well they earn their worth. Uh, I, th- I think Lukaku will probably um, play nearly every game, whereas I think... It would surprise me if Chelsea went out and bought another kind of twenty-five million pound alternative that's going to pitch in for a few games. I mean, they bought Batshuayi last year, I think, for like thirty-two million, and he's barely had a sniff. Um, but maybe, perhaps, this is going to be his year where he comes in and, and plays a few more games. They played him a little bit more in pre-season. Haven't they? I don't know if that's going to be indicative of what they're going to do, or whether that's just fitness-wise. That's... Get the uh, two goals against Arsenal. No one was going to mention. Well, we beat Bayern in a friendly match, which was called just a friendly match. And then when we lose to Chelsea, then it's the end of the world that we've lost to Chelsea. The worst thing to come out of that loss to Chelsea is the fact that it did cost my bet. I can't really think of any other negative than that. They had literally their first team out and we had um, a guy who was working in BMW last year starting for the team. So... Um. Ospina didn't get arrested for what he did. <laughs> that, was, that was brilliant. Broke his nose and I think it was two. Yeah. Not quite, and, he, and he got the foul as well. Not quite as good as Diaby against John Terry. Oh, oh yeah, that's terrific. But still, I think with these Chelsea players, they are such a filthy bunch that you do have to just dig it into one, one of them every now and then. Um, the thing with Conte that was the main thing I thought about when I saw um, that they were in the hunt for a new striker in Costa's been partying in Spain and he's Atletico Madrid shit despite, <laughs> despite not being signed um, is one of the main things that you're bought for well not bought but you paid your wages for as a top manager is your man management and do you think maybe it's that he just can't be dealing with the hassle of having to pander to Costa have to worry about whether he's going to get sent off each week maybe not being sent off I think his disciplinary record isn't hasn't been that bad over the last there's always two. kind of the twitch though isn't there where... yeah I mean there's always a he he's always plays on the edge doesn't he I think that's half of his problem he's yeah. always playing on the edge and want to kick out or you know um, I think that he's he's obviously identified him as a problem to the group for some reason whether that's on the training ground outside you know, I think he's unknown is quite yeah it's a big gamble, to be honest. Yeah, because um, whilst, Conte, uh, whilst, whilst Costa was partying in Spain whilst not being sold yet, he um, actually left a comment on Fabregas's Instagram yeah. saying, say hello to Conte for me. <laughs> so he obviously... I guess we do forget how that he isn't as old as we think he is. He's not this 50-year-old bloke. Who is, he, how, he, he is maybe not as mature as he should be, but he isn't yeah, actually that old of a player, is he? He could be that old, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's on looks alone, he, he's not far off. Um, TK, if, if I ask you the same question I asked um, Rory, who would you say would be the more effective? And if you were to invest money on who you thought would be a greater success in the long run at their club, who would you put it in? Who would you put the money in? Um, I think, on the basis of what we said previously about proven track record in the Premier League, I think Lukaku probably has to. Um, I think there's there's kind of only so much he could flop at United. I think to an extent he's going to score a certain amount. He's going to lead the line quite well. It's just, I think star-wise they fit quite well. I don't know whether it fits perfectly, which I think 
could prove a bit of a problem. And I think on the flip side, when you look at Chelsea, their whole game is kind of tailored towards Costa, really. He was kind of the focal point, as much as Hazard, etc., got kind of a lot of the plaudits. It tended to go through Costa, his work rate, his strength, as well as his goals, was all part of it. So I think Murata's got more of a job on his hands than Lukaku, even though Lukaku's going into, obviously, a massive club in United. Sort of tag that goes with it. Going back to your question about Conte's man management as well, it's, it's a strange way of looking at it if you think he did tell him in January supposedly he was going to go and yet he still managed to kind of keep a stable dressing room and win the league. There's no real kind of rumours of it at that point either. Whereas is it that now he's kind of lost patience and he's kind of losing it a bit or is it all part of a kind of genius plan where he's thought, well, we'll win the league and then I'll get rid of him afterwards and then I'll figure out what I'm going to do. Um one of the things I thought about with Lukaku is, um, and Connor might give me a funny look when I say this, <laughs> obviously he's not as technically brilliant as Ibrahimovic, but do you think maybe Jose has seen that he's had the success with Ibrahimovic and his team and he's maybe looking for someone to take that same kind of role in that maybe he could do with his play with his back to goal better, but in terms of it's not that too much different in, it's not in, in particularly mobile quick striker but he's still like an aggressive striker someone that he, I guess he's hoping can bring others into the game around him yeah I think he's always had that if you look and to recognise with Mourinho um, obviously had Ben and you know Inter Milan he had um, Etu and Melito Melito yeah so I mean so he's always had strikers who are fairly big in stature and he's no as well I was quite, I was quite surprised that he was actually meant to be going for Griezmann I thought it, I actually think that Lukaku is more suited to United than what Griezmann would have been yeah I not thought Mourinho player I don't think granted he's obviously a world class player and he probably would have adapted but I think it would have took a lot more time and he may not have been well suited to the Premier League being the size that he is um, and I think yeah I think Lukaku Similar, probably as similar as you're going to get to Ibrahimovic in terms of stature-wise, but I think he's obviously a, a bit more mobile and he probably does hold the ball up a little bit better. Obviously, Ibrahimovic links play, I, I would argue, better, but no, but I, I think he does, Lukaku does hold the ball up better, although he gets slanted for his touches. Yeah. But. Okay, Um. well, to kind of close this topic out, because, uh, because I'm sure we're going to discuss it again when we do our preview of the season, if I just go around the table with no real explanation, but just like the name of who we think would be the most effective of, of the pair. So if I start with you, Rory, I see you just claim the mic. Um, would you go for um, Lukaku or Morata, who you feel being more successful uh, come the end of the season? Well, before you said no explanation, I did just have one final thing to add. Okay, go on. At the end of the day, Lukaku did get 25 Premier League goals last year. For Morata to come in and hit the ground running and hit over 25, he's got a massive, you know, a massive task on his hands. Yeah, you know, Lukaku outscored Costa at the end of the day. It was only Harry Kane that, that outscored him. So for that reason, I'd probably have to say Lukaku's going to be the overall maybe um, better sign in as much as it pains me to give it to a United player. Um, well, I'll, I'll go for, I would say Lukaku too. I mean, I said at the start that absolutely terrified of what he can do as I envisage their their front line, especially if they can bring Martial and Co into being worked in the right system. But yeah, I'll go with Lukaku. So, Connor, I'm assuming you're going for Lukaku? I will go for Lukaku, yeah. I will. And uh, TK, just to close us out, uh, who are you going for? 
I don't think either will necessarily hit the ground running, but I think they'll both make adaptations, and I think Lukaku ultimately has got it a little bit easier to do that, so I think it'll be in. Women's European Championship is currently taking place, with England having beat Spain last night. Um, I didn't actually watch this game, so I guess that's probably part of the point I'm making here. <laughs> will women's sport ever be as popular as men's sport? Now, Connor, don't have such a wry smile on your face. This isn't just uh, 15 minutes of women bashing. Um, <laughs> don't you dare after some of your comments over the past few days. Well, I'll kick us off. The notes he's got in front of him. The, well, the notes or the or the book, honestly. I don't think it ever can be. I don't think the talent pool is large enough uh, other than the only women's sports I watch are women's mixed martial arts and women's tennis at a higher level where you do actually have some good competition to be watching. I'd prefer it if they did full five sets, but other than that, uh, I'd have no real interest in watching any women's sport. Connor, you look raring to go. Put your lips on the mic. I actually agree. Um, I'll be honest, I don't really enjoy that much watching any women's sport. I don't mean this. I I honestly don't mean this in a in a sexist way, or but I I don't enjoy it. You know, if there's women's football on, there's women's tennis. I I just don't enjoy watching it. I don't find it as as a top level. I mean, as we said a few weeks back when we did the MLS, it's sort of like, like you said, you wouldn't go and watch your local team because they're not as good as what you can watch on telly. Yeah. And it's a similar relation to this. The, the level isn't as good as what it is with men. So I wouldn't I'd put my, not put myself through it. I'm not saying that they're bad sports. <laughs> they're, they're not, they're not bad sports, sports people. They're, you know, there are good sports people out there, but I maybe athletics would, would be, the one that I, um, I would potentially watch. Rory, if I go to you next, um, what are your thoughts on women's sport? I um, I gather you watched the women's cricket recently. Um, I, I have been watching a bit of the Women's Cricket World Cup. Um, thankfully, England actually won yesterday. They beat India in the final um, by bowling them all out. Um, I mean, it, it was a bit of a welcome relief from the golf for 10 minutes, to be honest, because um, my heart rate was probably about 250 beats a minute, how bad some of Jordan Spieth's shots were. Um, but I, th- I think one comment that made me laugh was my dad when on the second last ball, a very easy catch um, by one of the England players, Gunn, and she literally dropped it. And my dad just turned to me and said, she's just dropped the World Cup there. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, I can see I can see your point. But it was kind of like, I would have t- fancied myself to take the catch. I mean, this isn't me kind of going after, going after them in particular, but you... It's like we mentioned a few weeks back with the 100 metre times male to female and the male ability was just so much greater. I mean, you can watch some sports and it is brilliant. If you're ever watching a close game of any sport, if you watch a 4-3 in women's uh, like football, you watch a, you know, a brilliant brilliant tennis match or anything, it, it is exciting to watch because it's unscripted drama. But the the amount of quality, as as you said, in in the male game is is far higher. I I do just want to pull this back. So this week now, you've said that you could compete in international women's cricket and you could strike with Damian Meyer. <laughs> um, no, my specific point was <laughs> that that particular catch was probably one of the 
worst drops I've ever seen in professional sport. Um, and striking with Damian Meyer, I think you could put a kangaroo in there and he'd be in trouble. I'm not sure I can go back to you again. I've just seen beach volleyball on your notes. <laughs> Hang on a minute. I've not got any notes in front of me. I come on here purely uh, with my own thoughts in my mind so you can't start ripping into me with that horrendous um, comment like that. TK, if we go to you next, uh, I'm not really sure what your thoughts here are going to be, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. No, I mean... I go and watch Cheltenham Town play football, so I'm not, you know, I'm not averse to substandard. Sort of <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the problem is, isn't it, is that I, I don't, I can happily watch women's sport where the level is at a high sort of level. So women's tennis, for example, I would sooner watch it than some men's games. To be fair, because I actually quite like the fact it's out of three sets. I think it kind of keeps your attention for a bit longer, and it's some good matches. And whereas if you watch kind of a bunch of tennis players that you don't really care about in a five-set game. Take it or leave it. And it's similar with sort of athletics. If you're watching female athlete, so like Jessica Ennis, for example, it's an interesting... So it's, it depended on the sport. It's dependent on the quality of that rather than just kind of the whole thing of women's sport. Don't get me wrong, I'd sooner watch a men's football match or a men's cricket match, whatever, just because the talent is higher, but... I mean, I don't want to be too harsh here, but I will say what a lot of people are thinking. Oh, no. The majority of the time, you'll watch women's sport if the woman is good looking. Oh my God. <laughs> Why was Jessica Ennis your only go-to? It's kind of the most like famous one. But yeah. Why was Rousey as popular as she was? Because yeah. she was a, opposed to the other women and she had her jugs out while she was fighting. <laughs> wow. Which leads wow. me on to women's fighting. We wow. do not endorse that statement, I don't think. Honestly. Katie Taylor, she has to be shoved down our throats any more than it already has been. As I've said, I don't mind watching it if the level is at the same level as the men's or at least of a similar level or if the competition's there. Women's MMA, you have your Yechek and as much as she is of a higher level than the other women there, there is enough firm competition. Like We were sat here saying that she could have lost the last fight to Andrade when we were picking it before. Katie Taylor was watching there. They're bringing people in off the street just to fight her to make her look good while we're being told, follow the journey. She's fighting in New York next week. Let's all get behind it. Yeah, but let's be honest. What is there to get entertained by? They, they were doing the same for Anthony Joshua yeah, before, Joshua. before he fought, actually fought someone half decent. But you know there is someone like Klitschko Wilder that they can eventually get to that is they that can be fighting. Is that not essentially you don't know then? There is none of them. Look at the box rec rankings. The eighth person in the world has over 30 losses. Do you know who the the world champion is? Yes, Clarissa Shields and um, the fit Swedish woman. (laughs) Wow. Wow. You're making yourself look bad here, man. But but yeah, the fact that we don't know is is more kind of of ignorance to what the world champions are rather than... The talent pool pool isn't large enough. But I don't know why it has to be forced because they're... She was put at the top of a bill um, and she was put on there ahead of um, Brian Rose against Matthew Macklin, which isn't the best fight, but it was a competitive fight. And they were shoved early down in the card just so she could be on there and Eddie Hearn can please some marketing people I'm there. I'm not sure that was the same card. But I think, I think it 
then that was Connor Ben. I was about to the rock you then and say it doesn't matter. You get the point. <laughs> she's been built the same as all the, the Olympians. Yet. She's, she's get actually getting built worse. She's get getting built pops. worse. And then we're saying, look how impressive she is. You've only had a problem with it because it's a woman doing it. Anytime there's a bloke doing it, you didn't have a problem with I've it. I've been slating that as well. In fact, the other thing with her is that you say she's not entertaining, but one of your favourite boxes is Paulie Malinagi. And <laughs> <I'm> Floyd. <laughs> Floyd's entertaining. Uh, and, and he's fighting the best people in the world. Floyd's entertaining because he's so far ahead of everyone else, I think. Um, it's not just women's boxing I'm going to go in on. The women's football is just as bad. It's not entertaining at all. Honestly, put me up front <laughs> in a women's team. Hang on a minute. Be like, We've now it'll got... be like I'm playing Wembley. We've got you claiming you can play up front and get around for 90 minutes. I'm striking with Damian Meyer for a couple <laughs> of minutes. I have to be getting around for 90 minutes. I'm, right. not, I'm a superior athlete. My build, <laughs> my structure, the one thing, my chassis. The, the one thing that I would say is, do we not as men like watching? This is going to sound a bit weird, but we like we like watching men's sport because it's like when you're playing at your own level, you're playing against other males. Do you not? It's kind of you can relate a little bit more to it. Being able to relate to the sports people is part of what kind of gets us involved, isn't it? So I think. Like maybe the one we're supposed to take off because maybe it's less women watch it as well than it's less of an audience. Like, like we're all Caucasian males and you feel a little bit uncomfortable watching an interracial scene. <laughs> you need no, to be able to. No, re- that's not where we were going. What you need to be able earth? to. You need to be able to relate. You've lost your head. <laughs> what <laughs> on earth? I didn't think it was going to work. I didn't at all. Well, well. Um, going back to your point of view, thinking you can play, <laughs> you can play at front for the women's team. Um, when I was actually doing one of my uh, coaching badges, a guy there who said he was down at the um, down at the uh, FA down in um, what's it called St George's Park. Sorry, he was saying that they have the England women have a lot of sort of friendlies down there, and that when he went to watch, he was actually watching them against a men's team who were of a semi-pro level, and the England women's team beat them comfortably. I don't know how much to believe of that because going off the standard that I've seen, <laughs> I, I, I don't believe it. But, great, it? but it, they may be well coached and it may be, you know, it may surprise some people. But I looking at one thing that really, when I, whenever I watch a women's game, I have watched a few women's games, and the one thing that always gets me is the goalkeepers. Yeah, I was they just are, about to come on to that. They are honestly <laughs> so bad. Like, you're going a bit it, too far here, just slagging them off. No, <laughs> no, the, I, I, no they, they, they are. Imagine they're great athletes, and the fact that they're getting paid to play shows that they are good athletes now. You know, yeah, there yeah. are there's actually a, a women's league, and it's it's getting a lot bigger. But I don't understand how they how the goalkeepers can be so bad. No, I guess this is the thing we're having like a laugh and a joke, which some things take seriously, some things don't. But these people are obviously at the top of their field. But I guess the point we're making is their fields comparatively to the men's field isn't of the same quality which is why we're not watching it yeah. because if yeah. it was of the same level like I, I keep reverting back to women's MMA but I would look forward to watching those fights because they're competitive and they're of a top level but I mean this is a bit of a weird a bit of a trivia point but a killer I went to school with actually is um, the manager of the Reading women's team now I saw that the other day when he updated his thing on Facebook do you do you think that if if it if there were sports as popular with women as what they are with men in terms of the the pool of the amount of people that's available to play, do you think it would get on the same level with any 
male dominant sport now? Absolutely. I think if there's enough, I think you have to have the competition driving the competition. And so you have to have those people there pushing the others. And I think this is what's happening now with women's MMA, where Rousey was the person who started it off. And so I think now when we're looking in 10 years time, the quality is going to be even better than we see now because these people are going to have been training it since they were of that age rather than coming in having just trained this martial arts just unboxing and they don't get enough money for it so they go over to the mixed martial arts where they have the more competition and there's more of an appetite for it i think you need that flag bearer like you said about rousey though don't you so i think these other sports that we've kind of touched on i don't think they have a standout sort of individual that people instantly think of will inspire people to come through and then create more competition as it goes on and you also need someone to build it like dana built it right in the ufc you say like about Katie Taylor, if Hedy Hearn could build her into a star, could create something I think that the, has more attraction I'd, than it I'd, is currently. I'd need to see it being less one-sided than it is, which I know she is at the early start of her career. I, I would agree with you in like a year. So but but the thing say- is, they're saying, because she obviously is better than all of these women that she's fighting because she was such a standout amateur. And it's the same with Nicola Adams, where also if I was being told that they're just fighting and she needs to do these people. They're not at her level, but we're being told this person fought for a world title here and now she's just knocked her out. And then you look at the record and she may have fought for a world title, but she's lost double the amount of fights that she's won. (laughs) And I think it just devalues the competition when you have such a low level there. So even if you have the few standouts, it's kind of like um, the issue we had with Roman Gonzalez where nobody wanted to see his fights. One, because he was small and so there wasn't the chance of the drama. And the other thing was there was perceived as not having the competition there. And now that we've seen there is the competition there and there is um, a higher level to be had and we see that there are the high-level fighters, then he's obviously been co-headlining with Golovkin. And so maybe we do need... So we can have some kind of super team in the women's, even if it's very one-sided, but they're that dominant. You kind of have that you're enticed to watch. At the moment, there's nothing that entices me to watch the women's football because at the same time you could be watching some kind of other lower level football which is still going to be more enticing to you than the women's it's it's like yesterday for example I, I know i did kind of briefly joke about it but you had the women's cricket final on and then you had the open for the men's golf and it, it it's like you didn't see any promotion for the women's cricket everything you saw throughout saturday afternoon and sunday morning in terms of adverts, advertising sport for Sky Sports was it's the Open, you know. Like it's yeah. it's just a simple fact that, unfortunately, or, or whichever way you want to look at it, male sport is much more is much more advertised. And, and all the the money within male sport is right is absolutely huge. So from a sort of from Sky Sports point of view, or from in right and from a promoter's point of view, why are you gonna try and invest in? women's sport when you think there's not a huge market for it when you know you've got a proven market there and they're waiting for you yeah i think it'll take a big person to to sway the side to to get women's sport big and, and grow it i mean obviously the one thing i can say with we can obviously relate it slightly to society with the bbc thing that came out last week about the pay packets where no woman was on over five hundred thousand, and everyone over that was, was men um but the only other thing i can relate to is sort of football that I think one thing they could do to maybe break it through is if the FA were to maybe make every Premier League team have a women's team. Um, I know that there are Man United being one of the main ones or a team that don't have a women's team and, and that City have, on the opposite scale, have heavily invested in theirs and have some of the 
you know the best women's players. They've been awful, and they did literally what their men's team has done and just bought all of the best players. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is making them a bigger club. Is they're obviously trying to be a brand. You know, they're yeah. buying the Australian team, they're buying New York City FC, so they're they're trying to become a bigger brand. And maybe United are thinking we don't need to become that because you know we're a bigger team overall. But I think in terms of if the FA were to do that to make every Premier League team have a women's team, that would start to make a big statement and potentially bring it on along in the f- next few years. I would just say now to close this out then, we obviously have joked as we probably could imagine this was going to go when we decided to do the topic. I think quite as I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um I guess we just need more competition and then we need more reasons to watch it and then we may be more enticed to come in and then I guess maybe in the future we'll be talking about it and it'll be on the same level. But I think as well, the main... Uh, audience for sport being male is you're more enticed to watch the more powerful bigger stronger players competing at a better level than the women's yeah Yeah. um so um thanks again for listening to another edition of the spitballing podcast um thanks to jack for coming on for his first episode and uh as always if you could uh follow us on uh, soundcloud if you could like leave a comment if you could subscribe on itunes and leave a review then we'd really appreciate that and we'll be back next week thank you